This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Welcome to another episode of the Sober, Sober Life, Life Audio, Audio Experience. What what up, Bri? What's up, Romy Rome? Hey, we're back in the building. We are back. Yeah. We're back in the building as opposed to being outside, I guess. Yeah. We're well, in the barnyard. The, the weather outside is not. <laughs> the weather outside is frightful. Yeah. But right. the fire is so delightful. So, hey, we're okay. here. We're in the building. We have an amazing guest with us. Yeah, who do we got? The one, the only, Melissa Stevenson. Son, son, son. <laughs> Quite the intro. Thanks, guys, hey. for having me here. Hey, yeah. it's a pleasure. We, uh, we're honored to have you as a guest today. Yes, and thank you for coming in. We're excited to jump into treatment in Southern California and and hear the ins and the outs. Talk about you, talk, you know, get to know a little bit about your story, how you came up, and, and where you're at, and what you're doing. What's working, what's not, and yeah. uh, kind of have the inside scoop. Yes. So thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Now, before we get into any of that, we start the show with guests with three very important questions. So are you prepared? I mean... No. Good. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, let's go with That's it. That's just how we like them. So question number one. What is your vision? Oof. My vision? Yes. Yes. But can you narrow it down no, a little bit? Just, just like what what do you vision? want? What's what's your vision? It could be personal, professional. What's what your vision you, for humanity? What do you like, want in this world? What do you want yeah. in your life? Wow. Like you guys are starting real big. Yeah, we're oh. just going for it. Uh, I will say that my philosophy on life and people is okay. that every human being wants to be witnessed. Mm. We want to be seen as something. Um, some of us want to be seen as lovable. Some of us want to be seen as infamous. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are all craving to be seen. And I think that that really uh, is my anchoring point of like how I approach people, how I approach treatment, how I approach therapy. Right. Of, um, I I think all the actions that people do, it's it's a way of manifesting wanting to be seen by others. Mm. W- would you say one of the values that you give to others then is then being that witness? Absolutely. Okay. I, yeah. I think that that's it's one of the most honorable, precious gifts to give someone is just to witness them without yeah. judgment and right. their humanity and not try to change them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really easy to sit with someone who's showing you like the, the lightest quote unquote lightest best parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, it's in the darkest moments when we're not really at our best where if, right. when we have someone that can just sit with us mm-hmm. and, and accept us for who we are. Like, just be there. That's rare. It's yeah. super hard to find that. Uh, Beautiful. Wow. Thank you for sharing, Melissa. Yeah. Awesome. Goes into question number two. Right. We're witnessing. <laughs> what do you love? I love my golden retriever. 
Oh, guy, girl, name? Boy. He okay. is going to be 11 in April. His name is Whiskey Pete. Whiskey yeah. Pete. Yeah. Gunslinger, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually have a, a golden That's retriever funny. that I rescued. Okay. So it was like a neighbor who wasn't taking care of him. He was actually a puppy at the time. And right. um, the neighbor had named him Whiskey because he's the color of whiskey. Okay. okay. And I felt so bad. I'm mm. like, I can't like keep, I can't keep your name as Whiskey, but I also like <laughs> don't want a dog that like is named after an alcohol. So yeah. I grew up on a ranch. Um, and so Whiskey Pete, like, was an old cowboy. Yeah. Um, so now he's Whiskey Pete. Now, now, is he uh, a fan of playing fetch? No. <laughs> he's like the worst retriever ever. <laughs> like, he doesn't like the water. He will play fetch, but he would just rather you pet him. Okay. So okay. he's only like, got, like, yeah. a good, like, maybe three three rounds in him and yeah. he just wants to he just cuddle. wants to come over to and just yeah. like yeah do uh-huh. the nose thing yeah. mom pet me totally yeah. pet. Totally cool got cool. It. right so, on question number three what is one book that has greatly impacted or shaped your life um that's a great question uh i would say there's two um the okay. The first book that I would say that I think probably a lot of people have read is The Alchemist. Mm, um, yeah. yes. Love that book just for the simple fact of like the idea that the universe is conspiring to give you exactly what you want. Yeah. <sighs> Love that. So be careful what you're wishing for yeah. Um, yeah. and what you're putting out there and where you're spending your time thinking because it's going to boomerang back to you. Yeah, um, it always comes. Manifests. Yeah, yeah. And then the second book is like, I think, related to that theme. Um, it's called uh, Three Simple Steps, A Guide to Bi- uh, Success in Business and Life. Really? Um, I picked it up huh. a couple years ago on, on a work trip thinking that it was going to be a business book. Yeah. yeah. And absolutely really didn't have much to do with business at all. It's really about this idea of what you do with your thought life. And okay. like, there's three things that you can like bring into like a meditative practice in your life on a daily basis that will yeah. completely transform it. Okay. Whoa. Maybe we get into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been a book. I I'm think I read it now like four times and I would say Word. my life has absolutely transformed. Is this a pretty popular book? I've never heard I, of it. I don't think yeah. so. I think it's pretty obscure. I have not actually run into anyone else that's read such it. a trip. Before yeah. I read it. Yeah. Huh. That's why I'm glad we asked that question. I know. This is, <laughs> this is great. We got yeah. we got such an amazing list of books mm. off of this question. Yes. And an incredible guest coming yes. in yes. and talking about it. So so with that, thank you. Yeah, and without further ado, maybe um maybe give the listeners a little background. I mean, I guess you can tell. So we brought Melissa in. You want to kind of tell them why uh, why you're one of our awesome guests in Southern California treatment. She she works in treatment. Um. Uh, so yeah, my name is Melissa Stevenson, and I'm the director of Foundation San Diego, which is a treatment program uh, for primary substance abuse and mental illness. We do co-occurring treatment. Right. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I would say my background in that is doing systems work. Um, mm. I I have worked with families doing long-term, like severe mental health severe yeah. uh treatment okay long term um and so that's where like i got all my hours for licensure and where mm. i really i think learned how to be a person um and then how to be a therapist i put it in that order <laughs> i don't think you can uh switch it around um right. uh so yeah that's my background that like i i come to this because i really love you know, the thing that I was saying at the beginning, like, I really love, like, witnessing people yeah. and making space for them to transform into whatever version of themselves they're, 
And how, how does that play a role with substance abuse? I mean, and, and I mean, what would you say are some of the common characteristics you're coming up against with, with addicts? Well, um, I, I think that within the treatment field, you're going to talk to different people and they're going to have different philosophies. Yeah. And, um, and, and so this is kind of getting into controversial territory. Oh, um, we love that here. So, <laughs> this is the moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what I will say is, um, while I believe the de- disease model has truth in it, and I believe that the disease disease model has really helped, um, the stigma of addiction and making it to where people shouldn't be judging someone because they have an addiction, that right. there is a, absolutely a, um, a physiological component to it. Mm-hmm. But my belief is um, that the connection model is also very valid. And, um, you know, usually in my experience, when someone's struggling with an addiction, there's uh, like a, a mental health component or some sort of attachment component to yeah. it that's mm-hmm. like like absolutely set the stage for the addiction to take hold to go hand in hand i was gonna uh, yeah i was gonna ask about that how often do you think addiction coincides with mental health i mean i think like almost every time like i've yet to see it in all the years that i've been practicing i've yet to see it where there's zero mental health issues um well you can see mental health without addiction totally but it's typically you don't see addiction Without mental health. Totally. I I think, yeah, I think addiction, um, in my experience is, is, uh, I see it as a coping, an attempt at coping. Mm. And unfortunately Mm. it, it has, uh, kind of horrible repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, I think that there's absolutely an attempt there of, um, self-soothing and self-medicating, self-medicating. And I think there's a lot of positive things. It's worked to, to an extent. Absolutely. Right. Keep doing it if it didn't work a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting. So how how do you use your skills, your knowledge, your abilities? What do you find to be most effective um, in treatment and, and in working with addicts? And then what do you notice that's just not working and like totally ineffective? And would you love to see maybe changed? Loaded question. That is a super loaded question. Um, and it's so big. I mean, we could talk for days about this. I think uh, what I would say on the top I think we've come a long way in the last like 10 years about recognizing um, uh, some of the factors of addiction uh-huh. um, and really taking the stigma out of it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that now more people are going to be appalled when you hear the stories about like whatever that sheriff was or whatever down um, Arizona Yeah, in Arizona. He was like, like, just kill them all. Arpaio. You know, that's yeah. that's going to be the, the, yeah. the oh, solution. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, like, clearly that's. <laughs> well, you know, they're doing that in like Singapore. Right. right? Yeah. Right. They're actually going out. Into the streets, gathering up drug dealers and right. just executing them. Right. Which yeah. is one way to go about it. I mean, I, <laughs> I think that that's definitely not going to get to the root of the issue. No. Right? What we see with addiction and mental illness is the more you try to rule by fear, yeah. it just grows. Because yeah. the root of it tends to be around shame yeah. and yeah. scarcity. Yeah. And so um, I, it, I think that's a really sad approach. Um, yeah. I think that what is working... I mean, I don't think any of us have a claim to fame that what we're doing is totally working because mm-hmm. more and more people are dying, especially of right. opiates. Um, meth is making a big resurgence in San Diego, um, which is really sad. But yeah. I think uh, one of the things that we're doing well is there's more and more treatment um, options available mm-hmm. for co-occurring. Mm, co-occurring okay. it used to used to be, um, you know, things were split. 
like you either went to addiction treatment or you went to mental health treatment. Right. And, um, and then people would, you know, shame you if you were on mental health medication and say that you weren't really sober. What I would like to see in San Diego is I would like to see um, a growth or evolution of thought around medically assisted treatment. I think that um, Suboxone maintenance is still like very taboo. And, um, you know, our program, we have a hard time finding sober livings that will allow people to be in housing and be in treatment and be being prescribed Suboxone because there's just this belief that it's... it's a hard population to manage and right. that they're, you know, everyone's going to want to be on it and there's a lot of fear around it. Right. Uh, but I think that the data, the research is showing us that that's, that's the direction that we need to be figuring out how to move. What's yeah. your experience? And, and we've had guests on and, and our own experience with it is it's been somewhat manageable when there's a clear timeline or, or a goal of like getting off. Mm-hmm how's that work with you and, and at foundations and, and where you guys are at? Are you guys setting clear goals? Is, is I mean, I, I guess it, it it comes down to like, what, what's the goal of the patient maybe? I, well, I think that's where you got to start. Yeah. What's the goal of the patient? Yeah. Because we can, you know, I think that the, um, the temptation in this realm of, <laughs> of controversy is to get into like, well, we're an abstinence-based program, so right. our policy is X, Y, Z. Once you get into that, then you've completely thrown out the window what the patient wants. Right. Yeah. So you cannot be both at the same time, like this is our policy, this is how we're going to do it, and we're patient-centered. Right. Those two things are going to like collide at some point. Um, so at Foundations, there's been an evolution. Um, I started with Foundations, it'll be four years ago in July, and when I first started, I was a director up in San Francisco. Oh, right on. And um, the the philosophy kind of with Suboxone was, um, you know, let's let's do short-term um, Suboxone intervention mm-hmm. where um, they're going to be on for a short period of time. And while they're with us, we're going to taper them off. Right. What we found and what the data ended up proving and, and showing was that um, that wasn't a safe approach because what mm-hmm. it kind of does is when you have that timeline that you're sticking to, that's really the provider's timeline and not right. really handling what's going on with the patient is uh, a lot of people ended up relapsing and they mm. would get down to that one, two, you know, just at the very the la- end yeah. and they, they couldn't tolerate getting off of it. And then they would go relapse and then back end up back in residential treatment and, you know, to ah, try to go around again. Going back through the rigmarole. <laughs> yeah. So what I've seen with us at least is there's been much more flexibility around, okay, um, what does the patient want? Some patients mm-hmm. really want to come in and they they want to do a short-term Suboxone and get off of it. And right. then they do really well because they're very motivated to manage mm-hmm. those, the fear around yeah. withdrawal. Really, that's right. what it comes down to. Right. And so for the ones that weren't really on board with that and were still thinking that they needed to stay on Suboxone for a longer term, uh, it became my job as the director to find other psychiatrists in the area that we could partner with that would take on the treatment plan. So mm-hmm. like we're short term treatment. So you're not going to be able to be here for six months or right. for a year right. unless you have the private means to pay for that, which right. most people don't. Right. Um, exactly. And so then it was about making like quality referrals to other practitioners in the area that were going to be like minded and that right. were going to help hold that patient through the process of titration. Got it. Yeah, and it, it, it's amazing to kind of see, like you said, the evolution in the last mm-hmm. 10 years and even in the last couple of years, right. you know, is this thought of actually going towards an individualized care. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it really is more client focused. Right. Yeah. Rather than, hey, this is just our, this is just what we do. Right. This is our program. This is our way of doing it. It's the way that we've done it forever. Right. And this new idea, this new concept of, hey, let's, let's figure out what works mm-hmm. for the client mm-hmm. and what they want and what they can get behind. And then let's just work, meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that means, hey, you know, suboxone treatment is what they want. How do we make that work within our program? Right. You know, which leads me and we always kind of have fun with this next one. (laughs) um, Because how do you determine outcomes? Like, like, is it because we've had other treatment Mm -hmm. specialists on and it's always kind of like, well, like, what would you consider or how do you, how do you, like, I'm genuinely asking. It's like, how do you determine what, the best outcomes for drug and alcohol treatment are is it, pro- is it how do you abstinence? Me- how do you measure is it harm pro- reduction? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we like we we know that most treatment centers don't have the best reputation as like oh we're gonna get you the results that you pay right. <laughs> that you pay for right. right so like what what is to, success I guess like tangible I mean my personal measure for success is that someone's still alive. I mean, Mm. I I think that first and foremost, like, let's, before we dive deep into, like, data and how you measure data, um, these are people. And the nature of this situation is that people die. Yeah. They relapse and they die. And that's part of why the Suboxone thing, like, I keep coming back to it, is Mm. we can argue about whether we're harm reduction or whether we're abstinence or whatever that means all we want. But if... If it means that someone is taking a medication and they're able to go to work and they're yeah. able to have relationships and they're able to pay their rent and they're able right. to have some semblance of like a functional life. Right. Um, to me, that is a positive outcome because they're not in jail. They're not dead. Yeah. They're not right. in the hospital like that. I think that's important. Foundations, how we measure success is um, we've started using uh, different scoring criteria. So someone, when they come in right. and they're first admitted, uh, there's going to be like different scoring that uh, the ASAM. tests. Well, not just ASAM, but like, uh, like PA QH nine, okay. GAD seven. There's, there's like three different ones that measure okay. anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and cravings. Okay. And the patient goes through and they fill out each of them and each question gives a score and then it'll like, uh, give you a grand total at the end. And then Got it gives it. you like, uh, like spectrum, the, the spectrum and where yeah. you are in the spectrum. If you're mild, uh, significant or severe. Right. And then, so they do that at the beginning, uh, when they admit, and then they do that anytime there's a treatment plan update, um, and then again at discharge. And so uh, we're kind of getting this arc of like, how is someone doing um, without just measuring, did you relapse on drugs and alcohol? Right. Or not? Like, because right. that, like really getting back to what I was saying at the beginning, it's, I think the emotional pieces and the attachment pieces that drive mm. the behavior of using. Yeah. So if you're just using the behavior, if you're just counting the behavior of using as like yeah. whether you're doing well or not, like I think you're just missing a huge part of the yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all Seriously. about that. So then we also have research um, when people opt in to, to be part of the research that we do. Um, the research team will follow them um, once they're done with treatment and they'll check in with them at different um, markers throughout right. like, a year mm-hmm. and they'll ask them a, a series of questions about like, have you relapsed or like how many times in the last 
um, month have you felt really depressed or mm-hmm. how many times in the last week have you felt really depressed? And they like define that. And so mm-hmm. then we have all these markers of like, really, how is someone doing? Mm-hmm. And I would say first and foremost, when they answer the phone, that's a clear that's indication a of success. Yeah, you know, I mean, how, how many people who are in the midst of their addiction or in the midst of like significant mental health, like the phone weighs a hundred pounds. They're yeah. not going to even answer the phone. So the fact yeah. that we can even get a hold of people, yeah. I think is a huge sign. Yeah. Something, <laughs> something's good with them. I right. dig it. I dig it. They're alive. Their heart's beating. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like they're, like they're willing to be followed, mm-hmm. kept track of. Like I've always found that when, the responsibility of the quality or the responsibility of like someone's like when, when an addict owns it, it always, it always means so much more. Totally. And in my experience, at least I've seen them really run with it Mm -hmm. in a way that they can feel good, you know, Mm -hmm. start to build some of that self-esteem, that self-worth, that value, be seen a little bit, you know, be witnessed. Yeah. And, and it's like a little badge, you know, of, of honor. Yeah. And, you know, I always try to fan that fuel and gas it up and like, oh, my God, keep going. Pump them up. Get them excited. Heck yeah. So let me ask you this. What you do now when you were a little girl. Was this what you wanted? No, I wanted you... to be in the NBA. <laughs> no, no oh, way. Really? Yeah. What? So yeah. baller, baller by night, yeah, huh? Yeah, Therapist okay. by day? Unfortunately, I'm only 5'6". So. Uh, you, you but you got a killer both. jump shot. I did, actually. I played college basketball. Um, okay. That's how I paid for college was uh, I ended up being an outside shooter. Hey, um, there you go. No yeah. way. That's so nice. cool. Yeah. I wanted to be in the NBA, too. Did you? <laughs> I wanted to be in Space Jam. I thought that oh, if, they, yeah. if I could do Space Jam, yeah. that's what I wanted. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's funny. After enough drugs, you probably thought you were there, huh, Rome? Uh, <laughs> I still can throw it up. <laughs> no yeah. way. That's rad. Yeah, it was really actually sweet. I remember my dad uh, telling me that I could do anything that I wanted, and mm-hmm. he's and I would be, you know. I don't know, fifth grade or something and say, well, I want to be in the NBA. And he's like, well, I don't know that there's been any women in the NBA yet, but like if you work hard enough, you never know, right. which I, mm-hmm. I think is quite sweet. Like looking back yeah. at it, uh, cause no one in my family is, well, I mean, my brother is like six, two. So right. some of them are tall. I am not that tall, yeah. but, um, yeah, I actually say that I learned how to do therapy by growing up on a ranch okay. uh, mm. because, uh, I had horse, I could ride a horse before I could walk. Uh, so, cheap. so for context, where California and Cal- Monta- okay. Northern California. Okay. Uh, so just North of Sacramento, a okay. place called okay. Redding. Got uh, it. Redding. Yeah. I've been Shout to some wipe, wipe stuff up yeah. there. Oh yeah. I've been, yeah. I've been to Redding. Yeah. yeah. Shasta Lake, little houseboat. Yeah. Actress. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, it's my dad and I bought a property when I was in high school in Weed. Mm. So I love it up there. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. beautiful country up there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's so awesome. some horses. We got chickens mm-hmm. out there too. Yeah. We had chickens for a minute. They're, they're not my favorite. They smell bad. Yeah. Chickens. Um, but yeah, we had like dogs, cats, okay. pigs, cattle, horses, the whole nice. what, what, Big ranch. Yeah. Nice. So was it nature that was teaching you therapy? Was totally. it the animals? The animals. Totally. The animals. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you're. When you can't rely on words, 
you know, because they're not going to understand like what you're saying. They're going to understand right. the tone of voice or whatever. Yeah. But there's a lot about body language. There's yeah. a lot about managing your own fear. Posturing. And, yeah. you know, like a horse, um, they'll totally take advantage of you if they know that you're scared of them. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. And I was lucky enough to have amazing horses that were great with kids where I really kind of like learned that. Right. Um, yeah. It's amazing. I made it through childhood. <laughs> but I think therapy is a lot like that. Oh, of, like, how do you feel your way through it and be present in the moment where mm-hmm. you're picking up what someone else is maybe not saying and it's not all always about words not yeah about words. No, like you, especially like with addicts right mm-hmm. they're not going to tell you mm-hmm. everything until totally. until you you know gain that trust yeah but before that how are you supposed to have any meaningful interaction totally mm-hmm. totally i mean i, I think awesome. like therapy is i think really very little about insight I mean, I think insight helps. And right. It's great, but like, I think I'm a I'm a perfect example of like I have a ton of insight, and mm-hmm. you know, in work with my therapist, like I'll like revolve around the same issue for <laughs> yeah. a yeah. long time because I can just like think my way into a hundred different options with it I and not think ever your way out. Yeah. ever make action. Mm. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's oh a my god, a yeah. Wow. So, so you're on this ranch. You wanted to be in the NBA. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen, but you, yeah. went to, happen. you went to college. Where'd you yeah. go? I went to a, a, a private college out in El Cajon, actually in San Diego, called Christian Heritage. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And, and then, then what, what, what yeah, did you want to come to SoCal or? No, it's, it's a really actually a funny story. Um, I only ended up going, like I ended up uh, staying at a JC my freshman year. Okay. And then someone that I had played in high school with um, mm-hmm. was sending tapes out to like all these different schools yeah, trying to get recruited. And so the coach actually saw me on the tape <laughs> that she sent and then yeah. came in and, and found me and, and pulled me aside one day and was like, I want to give you a full ride. Why don't you wow. come down to San Diego? Wow. And then I was like, San Diego, that's a long way from home. Like, yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I came down here. I loved it. And I that's awesome. A, word. Did, did your friend get picked up too? She didn't end up actually going to that school. She oh. ended up going somewhere else. Okay. okay. So. Well, shout out to her, huh? Yeah. Like, yeah. she yeah. hooked you up. changed my life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks, girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she hooked you up. Yeah. So, so you got to school and then, and then is that kind of when you got into psychology a little bit or? Yeah. And, and you kind of fell into addiction there or was it, was that like as you were yeah. getting your hours? Well, uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, growing up in a small town, um, there were, no one went to therapy. Like yeah. it just wasn't even yeah. a topic of conversation. He's I'm, from a small town. Yeah. I'm, I'm the only one in my family to, um, to get my bachelor's, let alone my grad, my, mm-hmm. uh, uh, master's degree. So that it just, that wasn't part of the conversation. I, so mm-hmm. when I was, um, in high school trying to fill out college paperwork, yeah. I didn't even know like what, what is a major? What, do, what am I saying? Like, yeah. what do I fill out? And so right. it's actually, there was another girl in my class, um, named Lisa, uh, who I really respected and she was really cool. We played on all these different teams together and I was like, Hey, what are you going to put for this? And she's like, Oh, I'm going to put counseling down as my major. I'm like, what's counseling? And she's like, you just talk to people about their problems. <laughs> I'm like, I can get paid to talk. Like, okay, definitely <laughs> yeah. sign me up for that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and so then I, I think I was one of those like Word. rare, yeah. weird people that I just never changed it. Yeah. Um, I kept the same major all the way through. And, wow. Um, yeah, I I think that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> Damn, um, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, so I've definitely had like a couple really important people come into my life at like just the right time that yeah. kind of nudged me in the way I'm was supposed to go. That's pretty awesome. 
the universe has guided you mm-hmm. yes, to where it, you're at today. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has. And it's been a cool ride. It has been a very cool ride. So you got into counseling, went to school for that. Mm-hmm. Where did the addiction studies pick up? So my practicum, I actually did at VVSD, Veterans Village. Hey. Oh, you have a, a veteran over Oh, here. yeah? Yeah. A veteran I'm and alumni. a veteran. Of the- I'm uh, alumni. Yeah. yeah it, VVSD. Um, Shout so out. I don't know when you were there, but Barbara Potts was my uh, oh, supervisor, and she okay. was incredible. She knitted me a scarf, okay. Um, okay. like when I was done. With yeah. Oh gosh, it. Like, that's amazing. That's like the like Shout token out. emblem. Totally, right there. totally. You know, you're a therapist. <laughs> you're when still you rocking it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, uh. But yeah, it was it was something that um, terrified me, and also really intrigued me, mm. and um, I think was a really challenging placement to start out with, but I think was the perfect place. Right. Uh, for me to go um it is <clears throat> i can't imagine starting out there yeah because it is a lot yeah it's a huge facility yeah 180 yeah. residents yeah a lot yeah. going on a lot going on a lot the of full trauma. spectrum of trauma and yeah i mean you have addiction there you have all sorts of other mental health yeah, on top of that you're dealing with homelessness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whew. What I would say is you jumped my, into it. I jumped into it like head first, which is ten, tends to be what I do. Yeah, things. But um, my one of the clients that I will never ever forget was my first client at VVSD, and um, he told me so. He was homeless coming into it, and so we were talking, and he said, "You know what, Melissa? I can give up alcohol. I get that it's ruining my life, and mm-hmm. it's going to kill me, and I I can let go of that. But what I cannot let go of is being homeless." Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind. Like if my brain could have shot out of my mm-hmm. head, like that would have happened at that moment. Because up to then, I was thinking that homelessness was something to be fixed. It was like a product of. And it needed to go away. Yeah. And so he, in telling me his story, he was like, you know what? All of my friends are down there under the bridge. And um, I know what to expect. I They yeah. have people that love me. They protect me. Like we're all in it together. It's a lifestyle. There's, n- there's never a dull moment. There's always something to do. He's like, what do you want me to do? You want me to get a mortgage you want me to like have bills that i'm going to be struggling under every month like that's so boring like it's so lonely and i in that moment was just like wow like talk about checking my own preconceived ideas my own ego my own uh, way of thinking about like what life should be like and like the struggle for him of what that was going to be to try to be sober and also to live with his like i would say chosen family Mm -hmm. um incredible lessons i mean it's also like working there that was the first stalker i ever had one of the clients that i was working with started stalking me nice Um, oh wow so i really like yeah I really Dang, not, not, the, not not the last huh? <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't me guys was oh my gosh me. i was gonna ask um earlier you know tell it tell us a moment you're proud of or something that that ha- that you felt really good about you know over over your career um i think there's been a, a few moments but what i would say is uh I used to work at a, a place called Hamblichia, which is actually down <laughs> yeah. in, in the Mesa. Not, yeah, we know that. Um, yeah. And uh, it's a program that's near and dear to my heart. It was there for six years. Yeah. And the thing that was really neat about working there was I got to work with patients and their families for a long time. You know, yeah. it could be a year, it could be multiple years, um, yeah. but like a lot of intense therapy. And so there was a, a, a client that I worked with there um, that was just a struggle. Um she 
kind of told me multiple times a week when I would meet with her what a terrible therapist I was and mm. how I was just taking her parents' money and I didn't really care about her. And, mm. um, and it was like, for me, like emotionally, like so hard because it was so like not what how I wanted to see myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like our breakthrough moment was when I stopped trying to argue with her of like, no, I really care about you and I really want the best for you and all of that. Yeah. And I turned it into like, wow, how hard that must be for you to sit here and like see me that way and like be here yeah, mm-hmm. and just have compassion for that experience. Yeah. Um, so eventually um, I ended up getting a call from her therapist. Like after I left um, Humble Chia, she, her dream was always to move. The client's dream was always to move uh, back home, mm-hmm. back East and go to um, graduate school. And I ended up getting a call from a therapist um, trying to coordinate care and just get a little history on her. Right. And like, I, I like cried after I got off the phone with that therapist of like, what an amazing journey for this person to go from being so, um, just like resistive inhibited. Well, I mean, just locked. I mean, she was just so locked in her own committed to being right. Yeah. And, and just, there was never going to be an opportunity for her her to have much quality of life at all the way that she was. And then to see that transformation over six years to like, now she's living on her own, going to graduate school, like seeking therapy out on her own, like giving a release of information to coordinate care with me. I mean, it just, that to me was such a sign of success, such a victory. And and that's, that's kind of like what, what we do this for, right? Is to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is, it is so rewarding. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's gotta be, I know personally for me, it's the best part of the job. Totally. Is seeing those success stories, getting those phone calls, getting those letters or, you know, getting hit up on Facebook. Hey, Mm -hmm. I know it's been five years, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to say, can you remember that conversation we had? Mm-hmm. It changed my life. Mm-hmm. Half the time when you remember it. Totally. Right? You're like, totally. You're like yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, I love it. Totally. You love it. I love mm-hmm. it. We love it. Like, it makes it worth it. Yeah. yeah. And we can tell. And, and, you know, what it takes sometimes to be able to shape shift and, mm-hmm. and move in the moment um, so. is one of the gifts that many of the people we work with, you know, have. Mm-hmm. And we can That's, tell you, you got it, girl. Aw, thank you. You got it, girl. So. You got it, girl. Again, thank you for coming yes, on. Before yes. we wrap this up, you want to sprinkle a little bit of knowledge on some of our listeners? Maybe yeah. drop a few gold nuggets, as he would call them. Yeah. Like, Man, you guys go real yeah. big. For um, those yeah. listening, for those... she's about to drop <laughs> knowledge. Well, what, what I would say is I just I challenge every single person that's listening um, to be really, really clear about what you want in your life and where mm. you spend your thoughts. Um, mm. Because it is so easy to get caught up in like fixating your attention on what you don't want. Mm. Like, I don't like this about my boss or I don't like this about my yeah. job or my family or whatever it is. And like, yeah. perseverate on being right. And yeah. how that's like a, an addictive place to be to like righteous anger. Yeah. Mm. And um, instead, change your thoughts to, uh, to getting into like, well, what would you want? Yeah. And that mean that's a creative place to be to try mm. to figure out like what would it look like if you had exactly what you wanted. And I would say um that's the practice that I learned from that book that I was telling you about, yeah. the Three Simple Steps book, and it has completely changed my life and I think that um my hope for other people is that they'll do the same thing because it 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 can't go bad. Awesome. Epic. Thank you so I much. Love it. Can uh 
Do you want to shout out your spot? Shout out any plug social yourself. Plug, I mean, you, want you, you can. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah. Um, some people come on here. Yeah. And some sh- people. I mean, it's check just, out my Instagram, part, my Twitter. Yeah. My, yeah. I don't. I. I mean, I don't think I. I have uh, much to shout out except to say, um, you know, Foundation San Diego. Okay. Come, come see us. Come say hi. Hey, um, yeah. Shout out Foundation Hillcrest. Got yes. it. So, Got it. That's Thank what you. I'll say. Right on. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. This has been another episode of the, the Sober, Sober Life, Life Audio, Audio Experience. Experience.